This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week we talk to the head of a new group of local media agencies and marketers who tells us they're here to help the media. The machines uh, are what runs Google, Facebook. and the, So it, it's in everybody's interest to ensure that we do have that vibrant uh, uh, media landscape. We also look at long-awaited legislation to force big tech platforms that disseminate New Zealand news online to pay the makers of it. And we wonder why our media weren't more excited about this potential new source of much-needed money. But first, we look at consternation caused this week by content blurring lines between ads and news. Now, what's New Zealand's favourite dinner routine? We've all got our go-to, but now food guru Nadia Lim is shedding some light on it. We've partnered with My Food Bag to reveal some of the insights. That was Hilary Barry and Jeremy Wells on TBNZ's Seven Sharp show earlier this month with what sounded like fairly typical lifestyle-type stuff that you get on that show. In this case, dinner-time food favourites with a media-friendly food guru. And there was also some good news for TBNZ's 7pm news show itself as well. And the average dinner time was between 6 and 6.30, so I guess just in time to watch Seven Sharp. Perfect. <laughs> now this rehashing of My Food Bag's consumer research wasn't really news. As we heard at the start there, Hilary Barry said that Seven Sharp partnered with the meal kit company to put that in the show in the first place. And on the screen, Seven Sharp viewers with sharp eyes would have seen a brought to you by my food bag message, showing that this was really quite a long advert during the programme. And after Nadia Lim cooked up some chicken, rice and salad on Seven Sharp, they drove home the commercial message. Now lovely to see you. What is about these meals that makes them so popular? I think it's the fact that now we've literally got something to suit everyone. So I don't know if you remember my food bag back in the day where we had like set bags with set recipes. But these days we've got over 30 plus recipes. Now there's nothing new about TV shows brought to you by the sponsors. Five years ago, TVNZ ran an entire series about money commissioned by Kiwi Bank. At Kiwi Bank, it's our mission to make Kiwis better off. That's why we teamed up with Nigel Latter to make Mind Over Money. And soon after that, TVNZ aired an entire primetime series about Qantas. It's a proud Australian with a safety record second to none. Just one second. What's going on, Jeffrey? Medical emergency on that one. With exclusive behind-the-scenes access. But no one told the viewers back then that what was billed as a fly-on-the-wall documentary was actually made for and paid for by Qantas. There's also nothing new about news and current affairs shows being a vehicle for commercial sponsors. And these days, TVNZ's Seven Sharp tells viewers right at the start of the show it's made in partnership with ASB Bank. But usually, the commercial messaging isn't actually hosted in the show itself, with the hosts puffing up the product, as they did for Nadia Lim on Seven Sharp recently. Now in the business, this is called native advertising, while the media companies themselves prefer the more innocuous sounding term, integrations. And last week, that instance of it on Seven Sharp grabbed the attention of the former chief editor at NZME, Shane Curry, who's now an editor-at-large writing about the media each week in the New Zealand Herald. Now, he said that all commercial media organisations these days work closely with clients and advertisers, but they must ensure that the newsrooms maintain editorial independence from them, and... We need to tell our audiences when a sponsor or advertiser has come on board for editorial projects or associated content. Quite so. And two years ago, Shane Curry had to put right an instance of this going wrong at NZME 
when its rivals at Stuff revealed that the property platform One Roof had hosted a series of articles for the Crown housing agency Kainga Ora, which paid NZME $25,000 a month for them. But that wasn't disclosed to the readers of the stories. Now, last week, the Herald's editor-at-large, Shane Curry, said TVNZ confirmed to him that Seven Sharp's recent My Food Bag piece was indeed sponsored content, and... The support of our advertising partners pays for our journalism. Transparency in advertising is important to us. We mark our integrations with a verbal and visual acknowledgement. Not all our competitors do this. Now, TVNZ didn't specify which competitors, but it did say... We have a rigorous process to ensure every partnership story we produce on the show is a great editorial fit. But the fit isn't all that great all the time. For instance, five years ago when Tip Top marked 80 years in business with a TVNZ-sponsored content deal, breakfast weatherman Sam Wallace delivered forecasts from a Tip Top ice cream truck and tried to force freebies onto people who really didn't want ice cream at 7 o'clock in the morning. Come here! Enjoy, have a great day. Honestly, I don't want it. You don't want it? Please, you have to. This is live on TV, this is embarrassing. Wow, in terms of PR, that just went terribly wrong, didn't it? And that is a real risk with ill-judged sponsored content. Last week, TVNZ told the Herald's Shane Curry, we think we've got the balance right, but it's not always clear what's an ad and what's not. For example, when My Food Bag tweaked their offering back in 2021, Nadia Lim was also on the Seven Sharp couch talking about it like this. So I've hauled in some help from our mates at My Food Bag, who might have the fresh start you're looking for. Over lockdown, some of us have picked up a few unhealthy habits, I think. A lot of baking's been going on. But this time, there was no explicit declaration of any sponsorship on the air or on the screen. However, host Hilary Barry heartily endorsed the goods of their mates. And the recipe for that meal is up on our Facebook page now, and you can sign up for your Fresh Start six-week reset at myfoodbag.co.nz. And back in 2018, Nadia Lim was feeding breakfast hosts Jack Tame and Hayley Holt from her new cookbook, while also plugging My Food Bag's new budget range. They're the top-rated bargain box um, family favourite recipes, yeah. What is so great top... for people on a budget. What um, is the top-rated recipe? Oh, of all time? Now you've really out got me. Out of the bargain box out of here, maybe? It could be something like the nacho pizza, Ooh. which is in there. <laughs> and it wasn't clear then either whether that was news, legit lifestyle content, or paid-for, sponsored stuff. Now, TVNZ has been at pains to point out that its other news shows are not for hire in this way. One News Bulletins and Current Affairs programmes Fairgo, Sunday, Q&A and Takarade do not take this type of advertising material, TVNZ told The Herald last week. But that doesn't mean that those flagship news and current affairs shows aren't also used for sponsored content. For example, last year Kiwi Bank paid for current affairs-like content that was played out during TVNZ's Sunday show with slots hosted by Sunday reporter John Hudson. This is Business for Better, brought to you by Kiwi Bank. Proving sustainability and profitability can go hand in hand. And earlier, TBNZ presenter Jack Tame fronted news-like slots in ad breaks that were targeting small businesses, like this one. 
SMEs that are affected by coronavirus should talk to suppliers, distributors and customers so everyone involved in their business has a good sense of how the business is being affected. New Zealand Trade and Enterprise has set up a special advisory panel to assist Kiwi exporters. Now those slots really confused some Media Watch listeners at the time who wondered whether TVNZ's main current affairs interviewer was fronting public information for Business New Zealand, NZTE, the IRD or even maybe the government's official COVID response. But it turned out they were really promotions for another company integrating with TVNZ. Create and send invoices faster with zero. Beautiful. <laughs> and lately, other primetime TV integrations with TVNZ have been raising questions. In November last year, Seven Sharp aired this. Now with COP27 underway, world leaders are under pressure to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and tackle climate change. And back home in a TVNZ climate special, Kiwis can find out more about where their emissions come from and the people creating change. Stan Walker, one of the most well-known names in the New Zealand music industry. And after that, singer Stan Walker told Seven Sharp about his passion for the planet and climate action. On Facebook, Seven Sharp said that segment was in partnership with Gen Less, a campaign run by the government's Energy Efficiency and Conservation Authority, or ECA for short, which encourages all Kiwis to reduce energy consumption and take climate action themselves. And that TVNZ climate special Jeremy Wells mentioned there was introduced by Miriam Akamo on TVNZ1 like this back in November. They say journalism is the first draft of history. We've got a river running through our workshop. And we're all starting to see the effects of climate change. And that special ended an hour later with Miriam Akamo and her fellow TVNZ reporters chatting to each other about what they learned work more efficiently and then that's all good for the bottom line in the end. I love that. So that's a a notion of not taking away actually you're providing opportunities. Exactly and that's what a lot of people said was that you can look at it and think that it's quite a scary thing but it's actually a huge opportunity for us all to be pioneers. Oh I love that. And this special TVNZ show was also paid for by Ica. This is a One Climate special supported by Jen Less. And there was plenty more where that came from, Ica's extensive media budget. Back in July, the answer to a parliamentary question from National MP Simeon Brown revealed that TVNZ's climate special was part of a package for which Ica paid TVNZ $300,000. That also covered that Stan Walker interview for Seven Sharp, as well as five stories on the One News website and associated social media posts, and five interviews across a week, integrated onto the breakfast TV show, featuring eco, climate and energy experts. Now, the response to Simeon Brown's parliamentary question also revealed that ECA paid $200,000 to Stuff for five stories and display ads across the Stuff website, some video advertising and articles in newspaper supplements like Sunday Magazine, Your Weekend and Life Magazine. And as far back as 2019, Stuff declared that it had partnered with Gen Less when Stuff itself reported on ECA's big spending plans for its media campaigns. Now, in the end, the sum spent on those sponsored content deals with TVNZ and Stuff took up only a small slice of the $4.6 million that ECA spent on advertising and PR last year. And when MP Simeon Brown appeared on the platform this week, he wasn't so much concerned about the state corrupting media with government money or propaganda, but about the wisdom of spending so much public money on advertising. 
And I'll put it to you, we've got um, New Zealand on air, which already has a role to play in terms of supporting content uh, on our televisions and on our radios. Uh, that is already there. Uh, they can already spend, they already have a, an allocation of taxpayers' money to make those decisions. They have a process by which they make those decisions. There are more questions that we need to ask to get to the bottom of uh, this, whether this has been this practice has been used more widely in government, uh, and also around whether or not there were requirements for uh, disclosure as to who was paying the bill uh, for those interviews, uh, particularly on like Seven Sharp or Breakfast mm. Television as well. Well, the level of disclosure is up to the media companies themselves, according to their own policies. Stuff's sponsored content policy is pretty comprehensive and it insists that all sponsored content is clearly marked as such. But it's less clear at TVNZ where, as we heard earlier, those integrations with their programs depend upon a flexible interpretation of what's lifestyle stuff and what's considered to be real news and current affairs which requires real independence. TVNZ's advertising terms and conditions say that presenters are required to obtain TVNZ sign-off before they appear in ads, and the ads can't be placed within or adjacent to a programme in which that TVNZ presenter features. But those Kiwi Bank-sponsored features about sustainable business, which were hosted by Sunday Show journalist John Hudson, did run in the commercial breaks during the Sunday Show on TVNZ1. And they're also on the Sunday Show site online, along with the actual journalism from the programme. Likewise, Jack Tame's zero-sponsored Business Insight videos aired in the ads in the breaks between TVNZ news programmes, and they're also hosted on the One News social media pages, along with real news and journalism items. Indeed, TVNZ has an in-house advertising unit called Black Sand, which creates the content for these sorts of campaigns, and its own website features the Seven Sharp Show as an avenue for exposure. Now, the principles of the watchdog, the Media Council, which covers online news content, say this. Where a story is enabled by sponsorship, gift or financial inducement, that should be declared. Now, on TVNZ shows, a sponsor's name is usually attached to such items, sometimes with an explicit brought-to-you-by tagline. Though, as we've heard, some of the same commercial companies like My Food Bag can also get on-air exposure without that. And on the matter of what's an ad and what's not in our media, the Advertising Standards Authority says this. The public is entitled to know when it is reading, listening to or viewing advertorial because it will regard differently information generated by an advertiser in its own favour. And information generated by the media in its own right, which can be expected to have a quality of independence. And the Advertising Standards Authority also suggests a number of tests to determine which is which. And one of those is, is the item independent of control in any measure by the advertiser? This week we sent questions to TBNZ's commercial director Jodie O'Donnell who oversees partnerships with sponsors like Ika who want input into TBNZ's on-air content. And while she declined to be interviewed, TBNZ sent us some responses which were pretty similar to the ones they sent to other media who've been asking questions about all this. TBNZ said it's happy with the way the Ika partnership went in 2022, but is now adding additional sponsors' logos to breakfast show TV items in future and is, quote, always looking at how we can further strengthen transparency around paid partnering. 
and when asked if participation of TVNZ news journalists is specified in such partnership agreements, like the ones TVNZ reached with ICA and Kiwi Bank, TVNZ said no, it retains editorial control over how those partnerships are implemented, meaning presumably they are OK with their journalists, including senior news and current affairs ones, appearing in news-like content that's paid for by advertisers and sponsors. Well, as we've heard, sponsored content isn't new and different outlets have different policies and practices for dealing with it and for flagging it for their audience. And while commercial media organisations really need revenue these days from wherever they can get it, they also need to keep full control of sponsored content. Because the other thing that's in short supply these days is public trust in our media. And that's a different kind of currency that they also need in reserve. Another group with an interest in how all this plays out are the marketing and advertising agencies, which companies and agencies of state engage to create and run their costly campaigns in the media, whether that's to persuade people to be more climate conscious or to buy a particular kind of burger. And here on Media Watch, we don't often talk about them or hardly ever to them. But as TVNZ pointed out earlier, the money that commercial campaigns bring in also pays for the journalism and the programmes that commercial media companies offer us all. This week, 28 of New Zealand's independent media agencies gathered at NZME's headquarters in Auckland to launch their own umbrella body, Independent Media Agencies New Zealand. New Zealand Herald Editor-at-Large Shane Curry chaired a panel discussion about the state of play with top executives from NZME, Stuff, TVNZ and a local rep from TikTok. And listening in was the chair of the new body, Alex Radford, who's also the chair and co-founder of the Auckland-based media agency, D3. Some creative agencies are obviously the ones that uh, make the TV uh, commercials and the and the um, newspaper ads. Uh, they started splitting off their media departments because there, were, um, uh, there was more complexity to buying media uh, into separate businesses. Fast forward that, um, you know, 50, 60 years, there's now a number of media agencies both owned by um, five of the big international conglomerates, so the likes of Omnicom and Publicis, uh, Publicis who own Saatchi's. They have, there are 17 different brands that sit under those five big global organisations, working with the likes of TVNZ and, and as well as the Googles, the Stuffs, the Metas. So whereas the, the advertising agencies do the creative side of things, so they make the ads, and then we work with the audience uh, information and the objectives of the client and decide what channels and programs sometimes uh, uh, to put the, the, adver- uh, the advertisement on. We, we do purposefully sit sort of under the radar. Our sort of main aim is really to, to explain to, to clients, to government, and also for those organisations and businesses that don't use an agency to buy their media, to understand that, that you can work with an independent agency. And that's really different to the, the five big uh, holcos or the, 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 the conglomerates that operate here in New Zealand, and a lot of that money that they use will then go offshore. Well, in a statement that was put out after your launch this week, we have a desire, this is quoting you, I think, we have a desire to safeguard and support the fifth estate and support the local media sector. But, I mean, really, in the end, you're an 
you know, marketing stuff for commercial clients, right? Do you, do you really care that much about the health of uh, media and news and things like that? Yeah, 100%. I think that um, we are work- we're in a world of, uh, of globalization of, you know, the likes of Google and Facebook and TikTok. But I certainly don't want to live in a world, and I think I can talk for all of the other members, where, you know, the only place you can get your news is Facebook or, you know, the only uh, information around what's happening in Taranaki is uh, from Google. I think that it's, it's part of our uh, remit is to, to be able to work with the local media here in New Zealand to keep that uh, fourth estate uh, valid uh, and uh, vibrant. I think it's uh, incredibly important for all the people that live in this country. In the end, do your clients care too much about that? If they can reach the right sort of people by going through you know, uh, a local community Facebook group or something like that, the media spend might not be going to a media company that also produces journalism that in the end helps out thriving democracy and all that stuff. Yeah, I think they they do. And um, two elements of that. One is focusing on local uh, news outlets and and media businesses and how we can support them. And the whole idea of IMANS is actually sitting down with the likes of NZME and stuff, TVNZ, and saying, how can we work together to make our industry more vibrant? Because if, if if we don't, the machines uh, are what runs Google, Facebook, and the, so it, it's in everybody's interest to ensure that we do have that vibrant uh, uh, media landscape. You know, you could spend, say, two hundred thousand dollars on a global media platform, or you could spend that same amount of money on a local publisher. You're going to reach the same audience. It's going to cost about the same. We should be using, you know, the, the local publisher. Uh, as a um, as a default, not simply just give it over to the global business because it's easier. A similar organisation set up in Australia, I think, three years ago, uh, that according to a statement here says has, has proven to be a strong advocate for, and this is interesting, uh, fairer public sector procurement practices. So is this also about local creative agencies can get a slice of the government, the public sector you know, communications and information budgets, you know, such as that, that one by the Energy Efficiency uh, Conservation Authority, their, their budget that's been in the news this week. You, you want a slice of that effectively? Well, yeah, and I think, again, we, what we want is a fair slice. They have uh, rules and regulations built into government procurement to ensure that independent agencies uh, do have the opportunity to pitch for that business on a, a level playing field to the uh, to the big international companies. One such sort of public information campaign, uh, the Energy Efficiency Conservation Authority, um, buying half a million dollars worth of space on TVNZ and stuff for a campaign. This was actually in twenty. 20- 22. Yeah, sponsored content and getting messages across in a in in what we would call a, a native fashion has been part of our, the media landscape for a very long time. New Zealand is very high up in public spending in, in terms of advertising uh, across the world. You know, there's a lot of communication that's done by by government. Whether or not that's right, I don't think it's my place to say. What we do know is that audiences are, are hard to find these days. You know, if you're, if you're trying to talk to a, a younger audience, you know, putting TV ads or, or ads on the radio um, are not as effective as they used to be. So, so they do need to be finding different ways of being able to communicate that message and be a bit more innovative in the way that they do it. 
you know, we do need to get those messages across, whether or not they do it via native or, or paid advertising. That's sort of really you know, their prerogative. But when it's a public campaign, public money being spent, is that something all uh, marketers are going to have to be aware of now, that there will be increasing challenge from people that this is somehow corrupting the media or bribing the media with, with public money? <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think we, we've seen these sort of campaigns happening all over the world. And, you know, in the UK, the government is using you know, ITV, Channel 4, uh, newspapers to get those messages across in a less of an advertising format. Uh, but I think it's really for the government to start thinking around whether or not, you know, spending that kind of money on those messages are the right thing to do. Um, our, our job is to, you know, take that brief, talk to the media, make sure that it sits within the, the parameters of what we can do legally uh, and, and then make that decision. Uh, but integration is, is nothing new, right? I can think of instances going way back 10, 15 years where news and news-like programmes like Breakfast TV have had clearly sponsored stuff running uh, you know, outside of the commercial breaks. Nothing new about that. But is that something that's attractive to your clients? Is it something you recommend to say, you know, actually you get better cut through if you try and place something within a program? You know, someone in a news type show talking about the product? We've got to be really careful. You you have to be thinking around the most vulnerable and those people who aren't necessarily as au fait about the difference between what is sponsored content, what is advertising and what is content. Anything which is not transparent, that it is clearly paid for advertising, in, in, in my opinion, is, is problematic, especially when it is sat within news or news-like content. And I think that it's the responsibility of the broadcasters to ensure that, you know, that, that their listeners, readers or, or viewers are protected and understand that what they're watching is being paid for by a commercial organisation. So you think it's problematic because it undermines the news credentials of the particular broadcaster that's hosting it? I think, no, I think what it does, it, it undermines the transparency. And, I, and it's not difficult to, to fix. It's every month in, uh, say, Cura magazine, there's clearly advertorial sponsored content. It just needs to be clearly labelled, very clearly distinguishable between what was content and what was advertising. Yeah, so when we see this nowadays, it's often uh, termed as a kind of partnership. In fact, there'll be press releases that go out. So that ECA stuff, for example, was announced by both parties. Uh, and that resulted in that climate special on TVNZ1 and a bunch of other content interviews in the breakfast show and so on. So are we going to see more of this then? So brands or agencies that have money to spend will actually say we're forming a partnership and that that will explain why such content like this starts appearing not outside of traditional commercial breaks where people know what they're watching. I think a partnership is in in my mind's where where no money has changed hands there is a you know a value exchange i think a partnership where there is a commercial interest from from one party is, is advertising uh, and and you can wrap it up any way you want but the reality is is that for the as i said for the protection of those readers and and viewers and listeners you you need to make it very clear what is uh, advertising and what isn't i think it's the responsibility of the broadcasters you know agencies and and clients so uh, you know we we want to be able to you know put our products and services in the place where most people will 
will be, you know, will be able to, you know, to buy those products and services. Um, so it's the responsibility, you know, of the ASA and and broadcasters to be very clear around, you know, what is what is okay and what not. And I think that pragmatic common sense is uh, is is key to that as well. Some of these partnerships result in identifiable news journalists. Like, for example, there's a TVNZ Kiwi Bank partnership attached to their Sunday show, John Hudson from the show, presenting slots that ran in the commercial break about sustainable business supported by Kiwi Bank. So that's news-like content with an identifiable news face in it. They've also used Jack Tame for other stuff that's backed by companies that it somehow gives heft to the, the message if it's a news name that they know and trust. Definitely. I mean, that's why they use them, that it gives credence to their message and it adds, as you said, heft and weight to, to the message they're trying to put through. I, as I said, I'm, I'm originally from the UK and there are very, very clear guidelines at Ofcom and ASA that you can't use talent uh, in a, from a programme in, in any of the advertising breaks within, I think it's uh, an hour each side. So they're, they're, there are very clear regulations around what you can and can't do with, with talent. Yes, Ofcom's uh, the, the UK kind of overall media watchdog, wasn't it? Right, right across different forms of media, I think, that, um, that upholds the agreed standards, but also sort of considers complaints where they arise, is that right? Yeah, that's right. There's, there's, there's Ofcom and then there's the ASA and the CAP and ASA looks after advertising and BSA, apologies, uh, it looks after broadcast standards. So you've got Broadcast Standards Authority, Advertising Standards Authority, and they are either close or, or underneath Ofcom. Um, the difference being that Ofcom can actually fine and stop people advertising, which I don't think they can do in, in New Zealand. But the, the regulations are much tighter uh, in, in the UK around what you can and can't do. And a lot of that sits actually because there was a lot of time back in the 90s when people were trying to put um, like bottles of Smirnoff in, uh, <laughs> uh, in the pub in, in Coronation Street. Uh, <laughs> people didn't like that. Yeah, indeed. Um, actually, moving away from that, there is another um, initiative uh, to make uh, the ad business carbon neutral called Ad Net Zero. I don't know if uh, IMANS has a position or is, is part of that. TVNZ, I think, hosted um, the launch of that recently. Is there a bit of a contradiction there if like, the, the ad business exists to persuade us to consume more of certain things? Um, is that consistent with a, a message about sustainability and carbon neutrality? I think you've hit the nail on the head there, and it's a, it's a conversation ongoing uh, within the industry here in New Zealand. You know, advertising in its purest form is, is around, you know, uh, getting consumers to consume more. But what we can do is start thinking about how are we doing this in the most sustainable way? As everything is being digitised, we're, we're thinking that, you know, because it's not physical that we're not creating uh, carbon emissions. But the reality is, is that technology which serves ads into websites creates huge amounts of energy. So one, one of the, the statistics which blows my mind is that a million ad impressions, which sounds a lot but really isn't, uh, a million ad impressions being served onto websites is the equivalent of a return flight from uh, London to Boston in terms of the emissions being given out. Wow. If you think about how many billions and billions of impressions are being served on a daily basis, we do have a, a problem. You know, we are creating huge amounts of energy to create these websites and, and digital assets. 
Well, you also said an interesting thing earlier, Alex, where you said, look, if we leave it to the machines, I think as you put it, you know, meaning I guess the algorithms and uh, the digital technology, you know, you will end up with people just seeking the lowest cost for eyeballs, you know, per, per thousand per money they have to spend and all of that. And that's not good for local agencies like yours or, you know, the health and sustainability of our media, which need revenue. Programmatic has been... It's both brilliant and uh, sort of uh, incredibly bad at the same time. Uh, and I think that as an, as an industry, we've, been, uh, we've got addicted to the ability of being able to do everything at speed, being able to serve millions of ad impressions to, you know, to reach as, as many people as we possibly can. And I think now we are starting to understand, and it's through you know, education, through you know, clients and businesses and, and government understanding that you know, there, there, there can be a better way. You know, being able to uh, serve, as I said, like billions of ad impressions across thousands of different networks, reaching the same people, um, when actually you go, wouldn't it be easier if we just sat down and had a conversation with the guys at the, the Herald or the, the guys at, at, at uh, MediaWorks or whomever to solve this problem without needing all of this technology? And I think that's that's where we're starting to get to is why are we pushing so much into the technology space when, in fact, it is causing issues with the environment and it's also causing issues with, with local media health? And, and finally, Alex, you had that launch event this week where you did meet with the big names and well-known names in New Zealand uh, news media. Do you get the sense that they're receptive with uh, what you want to do? You know, the mutual interests that your members have are similar to the ones that they have as local providers of news and media? We've sat down with everybody from from all of the key uh, local publishers, uh, as well as the global players, and, and have had conversations around how we can support them, and then how we can, uh, and how mutually they can support us. But largely, yeah, they they want a healthy, um, uh, you know, jour- they want a, a, a place where they're in New Zealand where journalists are uh, are producing really good content that people are reading or watching or listening to really good content. And, and that's what I think New Zealanders want. You know, there's, it's unlikely that um, anybody who who is an avid listener to the radio or the, or the TV really wants to live in a you know a Netflix world where the only way you can get content is from streaming services or global podcasts. So I think that I think everybody is very much aligned. It's now just about making it happen. You know, organisations like IMANS. Obviously, we are we're all businesses, but we've been formed to to really grow the the understanding of the independent media agency working with uh, those publishers to to ensure that they do have a a long and successful future. That was Alex Radford, inaugural chair of Independent Media Agencies New Zealand, a new umbrella group representing the mutual interests of local and New Zealand-owned advertising and marketing agencies. And he's also the chair and co-founder of the Auckland-based agency D3. And one last quick question before you go, Minister. Um, Google and Meta, are you putting the hard word on them to secure deals to pay for content, or are you well, going to legislate? Well, we're tr- I'm trying really hard, because, I mean, there's a... Have you given them a deadline? Uh, yeah, I have, for three months, actually, and, and said, to, said to them, let's see the deals in the, in the marketplace. 
That was the Broadcasting and Media Minister Willie Jackson on the News Hub Nation show at this time last year, telling the host Simon Shepherd he was putting the hard word on the big tech platforms to do deals with New Zealand's news media companies to pay them for the news that they carry on their search services and social platforms online. And if the deals were not done, Willie Jackson said he was prepared to pass a law to make it happen by arbitration, as has happened overseas. They legislated it over in Australia and Canada. I'm not saying we're going to legislate, but this is something we have mooted, and uh, I want to see some fairness. I want to see all all these Kiwi news organisations looked after. That's what it's about. And these big players have the funding and the resourcing to be able to do that. Well, the three months came and went, and there was some movement from Google, which has now done deals with almost 50 local news media outlets, large and small, though the sums involved are confidential commercial secrets. But one year on, Willie Jackson went back on News Hub Nation earlier this month, and that legislation to force the issue was still not out. But he said it was imminent. Well, the government is finally taking on big tech legislation, forcing online platforms to pay for New Zealand journalism content is heading to Cabinet next week on its way to the House shortly after. It comes as Google and Meta have pulled news content in Canada over similar moves by the Trudeau government. But News Hub Nation host Rebecca Wright then asked the minister, wasn't it all a little late now? We've got this in place. It's taken got, too long, though, hasn't it? Uh, it has taken too long, but the main, the main point is it's in now. And, look, any right-thinking person um, at, or right-thinking party would support this because you don't want to get offside with the media, do you, Rebecca? No, I don't think you do. <laughs> I don't think you're not in an election campaign period anyway. Well, they were just joking there, but the income from these deals could be a significant source of revenue for our cash-strapped commercial media. However, when the fair digital news bargaining bill was finally tabled in Parliament last week, it wasn't launched with a ministerial media conference or even a media news release. And there wasn't an awful lot of interest in it either from the media. Reflecting on that in his weekly column Nightly News this week, former Herald Editor-in-Chief Gavin Ellis said that that might be because many in the media are assuming the bill will just die if the current government's not re-elected in two months' time. And in spite of Willie Jackson saying there that any right-minded political party would want to back this legislation, the National Party's broadcasting spokesperson said on Tuesday she wouldn't. Melissa Lee told Stuff governments should not be involved in the business of the fourth estate and... If the government was really concerned about this issue, they should have brought this bill earlier so that we could have had plenty of time to go through the select committee process and scrutinise the bill properly. And that also echoed the feelings of the big two tech titans. In a statement, Meta's head of policy for New Zealand, Nick McDonnell, told Newsroom that Meta hadn't been consulted on the bill, which he said ignores the realities of how our platforms work. And in a letter to the minister released to RNZ under the Official Information Act recently, Google's New Zealand manager, Carolyn Rainsford, had also complained that standard practice had not been followed for the new bill, with no policy paper allowing for public input. But... The legislation is out now, so what does it do? Well, the Fair Digital News Bargaining Bill tasks the Broadcasting Standards Authority with creating a bargaining code for digital platforms and news media companies. And if agreement on payments can't be reached, the arbitration process will kick in. The authority can hand down fines and penalties of $3 million or more for failing to bargain in good faith or refusing to engage in compulsory bargaining. But aside from trying to introduce more fairness into the market for online news, what's in this for the government? 
Well, though the minister hadn't really wanted to say so out loud, it's a way of finding money for the media to replace the millions in public money which this government pumped in via New Zealand On Air over three years since 2020. The $55 million public interest journalism fund was welcomed by media outlets which competed for that cash to fund jobs and journalism projects while it lasted. But opposition parties and political critics condemned it as a corruption of media independence and even a government bribe to buy their compliance, even though tens of millions of dollars has flowed into the public and private media companies ever since the early 1990s. New Zealand On Air's interim review of the Public Interest Journalism Fund's achievements so far was coincidentally also released last week, and it said this. New Zealand On Air is confident that the fund's support for a wide range of journalism and journalists has made a compelling case for ongoing subsidies to safeguard at-risk public interest journalism. But the Cabinet paper for that new digital news bargaining bill says continued public funding of public interest journalism increases risks around the perceived independence of and public trust in the media. And the Cabinet reached that conclusion last December, and according to the timeline on the new bill, it won't be until December 2024, two years later, that mandatory bargaining provisions could actually be in place. Now clearly the hope is that payments from the big tech titans will fill the void that the government's created now that the public interest journalism fund spending is done and dusted. But that presupposes that a government in place actually supports this. And even if it does, December 2024 is an awfully long way off for media companies in the current economic climate. Well that's all we have for you on the media this weekend but we'll be back with more on the media after the 10pm news next Wednesday night with Midweek Media Watch on nights and then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.